live from Earth, it's Space Radio. This is Paul Sutter, and coming up, we're talking about Goodbye, Trusty Voyager, and of course, taking listener questions about all things in the universe, because that's what this show is about. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, so join the conversation by leaving a voicemail at spaceradioshow.com. And in today's Blue Shift, I'll be talking about moving on. Just moving on. But first, the news.
Hello, space fans. Welcome to Space Radio. I'm Paul Sutter, astrophysicist at Ohio State. And for the next half hour, your agent of the stars. Got an exciting show for you today on Space Radio, where we talk about all things space, astronomy, astrophysics, rocketry. If it's above the Earth's atmosphere, it's in this show's universe. This show lives on listener questions. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So you can join the conversation by leaving a voicemail anytime on our website, thespaceradioshow.com. You also follow along live with the trusty Space Cadets over on YouTube and Twitch. There are links to those over on, you guessed it, spaceradioshow.com. Tuning in live right now, we have Space Cadets from Utah, D.C., London, Canada, which is way better than the London, England, Pell City, Alabama, Kempner, Texas, Sudbury, Ontario, Canada, Sakuragoaka, and Princeton, New Jersey. How'd I do on that pronunciation of the Japanese city? I really hope I did a good job. I took a stab at it. I figure if I just said it quickly and mumbled all the vowels and consonants together, it would sound more authentic. If you send questions there, I will do my best to answer them. Seriously, folks, I've only prepped 10 minutes of show material tops to get those calls in. Before I start taking all those wonderful questions, I wanted to share some interesting bits of news I caught. And yeah, another... Another milestone in the long, long journey of Voyager. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 launched in 1977. 19- I wasn't even alive back then. Greg, were you alive in 1970? Were you, like, functionally aware? Okay, were, were you sober? Different question. Okay, we, we won't go. You're saying no, but you have a big thumbs up. So I know exactly what you were doing in 1977. At the same time, the Voyager probes were getting launched and they have been operating ever since. Like just straight up, just think about it. We have machines in space that are currently more than 11 billion. That is billion with a B that is a classic Carl Sagan B billion. The Voyager probes are more than 11 billion billion miles from the earth they've been running for decades they are both legit outside the solar system voyager one raced out of the side of the solar system a few years ago voyager two just reached the edge of what we call the heliopause that is the boundary of the solar system or a useful definition of a boundary of the solar system just reached it last year And they're running out of power. They don't run on solar power. They run on something called radioisotope thermoelectric generators. This is a nuclear battery. You let something radioactive be radioactive. It makes things hot. So you've got something that's hot on one side and cold on the other. That can drive a current. That can drive electricity. It's a battery. The battery's running out. Because once you run out of the stuff that's radioactively decaying you run out of power. So slowly over time, but it's not a big like off switch. It's just a slow decay of power. So slowly over time, NASA engineers have been shutting off the instruments one by one. Each started with, I think, 10 instruments. Uh, Voyager 1 is down to four, and the and NASA engineers just shut off one of Voyager 2's instruments, the Cosmic Ray instrument. So what's interesting about this is, yes, we're shutting off the Voyager slowly over the course of years. 
they are still collecting data. We haven't shut off all the instruments. There's still enough bare power, like a little, little tip of juice to power some instruments and more importantly, to occasionally power radio transmissions back to Earth where we can barely hear their whispers way out there beyond the solar system. But they're still doing science. They're still trucking along. They're still doing what they were intended to do decades after the fact. Uh, but what's becoming more and more challenging is that to hear the spacecraft, they have to be pointed back at Earth. They have to point those radio dishes back to our receivers. That's getting more and more challenging because they're starting to drift. So sometime this year, NASA engineers are going to turn on one of the thrusters of Voyager 2. Give it a little, little nudge just to point it back at Earth, align it so we can keep getting some more years of data out of it. But the thrusters haven't been used in 37 years. The last time they were used was at the flyby of Neptune. It's been 37 years since we've used this. So cross your fingers that it works and we can keep talking to the Voyagers. That's the latest and greatest when it comes to space. It's time to answer some questions. We've got questions ready to go. We've got voicemails. We've got space cadets. We, they, man, so many curious people. It is so awesome to just satisfy that curiosity. That's what I'm here for. If we're going to start off with some space cadet questions, we've got over on YouTube Thunderduck asking, uh, will dark matter cause Voyager to speed up? up so you may remember from a few years ago that there was something called the pioneer anomaly which pioneer other space groups sent out before voyager they're uh, on their way out of the solar system as well we had this weird thing where we knew how how fast this is going because we we're tracking it and we knew how fast it should have been going based on like gravity and pressure from sunlight pressure from the sun and, and et cetera, et cetera. And it didn't quite add up. And so there's this little anomaly. And of course, everyone's like, maybe physics is wrong. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Turned out to be uh, we just didn't do a detailed enough calculation. We didn't check our answer well enough. So the Pioneer anomaly disappeared. Uh, and Thunderduck is asking, as the Voyager probes leave the solar system, will dark matter cause them to, to change velocity? So as we don't fully understand dark matter. Most of the matter in our universe is simply not lit up, hence the name dark. As far, though, as we do understand dark matter, it is smoothly distributed throughout a galaxy, roughly, roughly. So, like, there's a bunch of dark matter right here in the room that I'm speaking in. There's a bunch of dark matter in your room that you're speaking in. It doesn't interact with normal matter. It doesn't interact with light, so you don't really see it. Again, hence the name dark. But it does make itself known through gravity. But on something like a solar system, it's smooth all the way through. There are no differences. So you don't really notice it gravitationally inside of a solar system. And even outside of the solar system, it's still pretty smooth there, at least as far as we currently understand it. So it doesn't look like we don't think that dark matter is going to affect the motions of the Voyager probes. Uh, but, you know, nature has always managed to surprise us before. So you never know exactly what you're going to get. 
Next question, following up on, on this story of the Voyager 2 getting its cosmic ray instrument shut down, we've got Glenn Matthews over on YouTube asking, how far from can Voyager 1 go before we lose contact? So right now, both Voyagers are more than 11 billion miles from the Earth. Uh, before they lose contact, it's a little bit tough to say. Because if they can maintain pointing back to the Earth, if they can preserve enough power, if we have sensitive enough radio receivers, if the environment, the space environment between us and the Voyagers is clean enough, there's not a lot of noisy stuff going on in the outer limits of the solar system, we can probably hear them for at least a few more years, maybe even pushing a decade or two. They have enough power to last, uh, say, another 10, 20 years before they just totally shut down. And it's it's currently unknown how much of that we can dedicate to communication or if that communication is even useful. If all we get is a ping, you're not going to learn a lot, so you might as well just shut it down. So it's going to be not too much longer where we will finally lose contact with the Voyagers and they will just be hunks of dead metal hurtling through the void. And that will be their fate. They will end up circumnavigating the galaxy because it's not like they're going to hit anything because space is kind of big. Stars are kind of far apart. So the ultimate fate of the Voyagers is just to circumnavigate the galaxy which they'll do so every 100 million years or so. And they'll just keep doing that until, like, the end of time. Another question. Oh, right here. Question Cosmic Wakes over on YouTube. Will Voyager be able to orbit the galaxy? Yeah, it is in orbit. Just like our sun is in orbit, Voyager is in orbit. It'll take about 100 million years to complete one loop around the galaxy. So see you in 100 million years, Voyager. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. This show is brought to you by you. Please visit patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can keep this show going. Greg is so hungry. You're looking emaciated or emancipated. One of those words. You're both. You're both. He is both free and hungry. And patreon.com slash pmsutter will not help with either of those situations, but it'll make you feel better. See you after the break. Support for 90.5 WCBE and Space Radio comes from Thompson Hine, a business law firm serving clients for more than a century. Thompson Hine provides innovative client service through SmartPath, a smarter way to work, predictable, efficient, and aligned with client goals. More information about the firm at thompsonhine.com. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Paul Sutter, and this is Space Radio. We've got more questions ready to go, but remember, you can join the conversation by leaving a voicemail or by following the live streams with all of our wonderful space cadets. Go to spaceradioshow.com for all those links. All right, we've got voicemail ready to go from Richard. Greg, play the tape. Yes, I have two questions. My first question is, from my understanding, as the sun becomes a red giant and then a, a white dwarf, it'll outgas a lot of uh, hydrogen that it can't hold on to. Uh, will enough of this hydrogen become, you know, released enough so you know such that uh, Jupiter can get enough to become a, a red dwarf like Proxima Centauri or maybe even Saturn will? 
uh, so that you'd end up like with a red dwarf orbiting or a white dwarf. Uh, my second question is that uh, is there a practical way to restore Mars's magnetic field? And, you know, so that way the atmosphere can reconstitute itself and we can terraform Mars. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you very much, Richard, for your questions. Both very, very interesting questions. Question number one, the end of our solar system when our sun dies in about four or five billion years from now, it will turn into a red giant. It will swell. It will consume Mercury, Venus, and probably the Earth. It will go through a few cycles of contracting and expanding. Every time it goes through one of the cycles, it will eject its outermost layers further into the solar system. It will become what we call planetary nebula, a, a cloud of gas and dust surrounding the remnant core. The remnant core will then be called a white dwarf. And so this is a very interesting question. We know the inner planets are going to get blasted. What about the outer planets? There's going to be a lot of gas swirling around. Jupiter's there. It's big. If it were to acquire some more mass, could it start, say, nuclear fusion in its core and become a star in its own right? If it did, it'd probably be small. It'd be a red dwarf, but it'd still be a star. So Jupiter, if it wanted to be a star, has to be around 20 times bigger than it is. So if you get 20 Jupiters together, you that's about the boundary of when you can start having nuclear fusion parties in your core. It's possible, I don't want to rule it out, that Jupiter can collect enough material during this catastrophic end phase of the solar system, but it seems doubtful for me. And the reason it seems doubtful is that as the sun is dying and it's ejecting these outer layers, the outer layers are traveling at a decent fraction of the speed of light. Like think of solar flares or coronal mass ejections. When they get enough energy, to get blasted off the surface of the sun, they are just gone. They're just gone. And so obviously some of it will be swept up by Jupiter because it will be in the way, but that's not a lot. Most of it will simply blow by Jupiter. So while it's possible, I'm guessing just based on making things up on the spot, that Jupiter is not going to turn into a red dwarf. It might even get some of its layers ripped off because of the extreme solar winds. So uh, Jupiter's fate, question mark. The other question is about Mars and its magnetic field. So Mars doesn't have a magnetic field. Because it doesn't have a magnetic field, it's not able to protect its atmosphere against the solar wind. This is one of the reasons why life was able to flourish on the Earth as we were able to maintain our atmosphere because we have that nice force field, which Mars doesn't. So Richard wants to know, can we restart it? Basically, no, which is unfortunate because if we were to somehow give Mars an atmosphere, it wouldn't be able to hold onto it for long. It would get blown away again by the solar wind. Magnetic fields in rocky planets are driven deep in their cores, for the most part, at least when it comes to the Earth. And good luck even getting to the core of Mars, let alone giving it enough heat and energy to become molten again and start spinning and, and spin up a strong magnetic field. The good news is that even though it would lose its atmosphere, if you were to pump Mars full of like an Earth-like atmosphere, it would take around 100 million years for the solar wind to blow it away. 
which I think, I'm just guessing here, is enough time to build and develop a Mars colony. And then, you know, a couple or two generations down the road, they can work out the long-term solution. But great questions, Richard. All right, turning back to the loyal and patient space cadets who have been bombarding me with questions, which is their right. Let's see. We've got uh, Scott Pelleth on YouTube asking, how will we know when the Voyagers have gone through the Oort cloud? Ooh, ooh, ooh. So the Oort cloud is the bits and pieces left over from the formation of the solar system. Surrounds the solar system. Innermost boundary is like mm, 100 times further away than Pluto. Outermost boundary is mm, maybe somewhere around a light year or two away. Pretty big thing. The Voyager probes won't reach the innermost boundary for a few hundred more years. And they won't clear the Oort cloud for, you know, a few tens of thousands of years. The Oort cloud is gigantic. We won't ever know for sure because we haven't actually detected any objects in the Oort cloud because they're small. They're tiny, they're far away, they're dim, they're hard to see. Every once in a while, members from the Oort Cloud come careening into the inner solar system where they get a new name. We call them comets. So we, we can approximate when it will pass through the Oort Cloud, uh, but we won't ever know for sure because for sure we won't be able to spot the Voyager when it's at those distances. Alien of Soul 3 YouTube is asking, what's the half-life of a nuclear fusion party? Well, if it's hosted by Greg, it started in 1977 and it hasn't stopped since. So at least 40 years and still going strong. If it's hosted by me, it's about 45 minutes because uh, I need to go to bed. <laughs> Constellation Pegasus on YouTube is asking, why not send out probes after the Voyagers to enhance their signal and keep contact until it runs out of power? Uh, so deep space missions are have a somewhat pricey, you know, price tag, pricey price tag. You heard that right. We're talking in the billions of dollars. So we have one choice, which is to send out probes and then Maybe in the decade or two it takes to reach the outer edge of the solar system, they would be able to receive signals from the Voyagers and relay them back to us. Or we can just use them for brand new science. Personal preference, if we're going to spend a few billion dollars, one, I've got my eye on a nice house. You know, I'm just saying, you know, maybe there's room in the budget, but, you know, number two would be some brand new science rather than trying to keep a hold of the Voyagers. They, they've more than served their mission. They more, have more than done what they were supposed to do. This is all bonus. This is free. They're just making science uh, in their spare time, in their retirement. How nice is that? Let's take it for what it is, and not try to ask for more. But great question, Constellation Pegasus. Uh, that's all the time we have today on Space Radio. Man, that went fast. That went fast. But before we go, it's time for the Blue Shift. I'm Paul Sutter, and you're listening to Space Radio, and this is the Blue Shift, my opportunity to get a little bit closer to you. But in this Blue Shift, I'm going to be talking about how I'm getting a little bit further 
away from you. You may have noticed on Space Radio over the past few months, I have been traveling like crazy on various uh, projects and especially my book tour, which was a blast. I got to meet some of you in person, which is always an interesting and wonderful and lovely experience. I haven't been back in this studio for a few months and this is actually going to be the last recording of Space Radio here at WCBE Studio A. I'm moving to New York. That's right. I live in Columbus, nominally, kind of, over the past few months. But I'm making a move to New York City to pursue some very cool opportunities in science communication and science outreach. I will give you more details as things progress, of course. I will still be maintaining an affiliation with the Ohio State University, at least for the next few months, and hopefully for the long term. But of course, that is up for very complicated academic discussions. And I will be joining some other research institutes and working with some very cool partners. I promise you're going to get all the details. You're going to get all the transparency. Uh, but I just want to share things as things are solidified. What is solidified is that I am moving to New York. And what is also solidified is that this show won't quit. I won't be recording it here. I'll be recording it in Spaceman Studios, a.k.a. my home office in my new place. Uh, so give me a couple of weeks to get me set up there and then we'll return to broadcasting. Greg will still be Greg. Nancy will still be Nancy. The space cadets will still be the loyal space cadets. And I guess I still get to be Paul. Do I still have to be Paul or do I have to be someone else? Nope, just Paul. Fantastic. So everything's going to be the same, except I won't be recording here in studio, but we're still going to be on the air. We'll still be live streaming every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, and we're still going to have so many cool adventures in science. I still can't wait to hear what you are curious about, whether live or through the voicemails. I can't wait to make up answers on the spot and just have these wonderful conversations about space and time. I love you guys. You guys are fantastic. The listeners are fantastic. The Patreon supporters are, I'll admit, more fantastic, but no judgment there. And your curiosity is the most fantastic part of all, and I can't wait to keep that adventure going. And unfortunately, this broadcast is almost done. Thank you for joining me on this voyage of space radio. Once again, I'm Paul Sutter, and this show is brought to you by the Ohio State University Department of Astronomy. Learn more at astronomy.osu.edu. This show is also brought to you by you. Go to patreon.com slash pmsutter to learn how you can contribute. Thanks to Greg Mobius for producing, Nancy Graziano for wrangling the space cadets, and all the fine crew at WCBE Radio for making this show possible. We record every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern. You can leave a voicemail or join the live stream. Go to spaceradioshow.com for the links. You can also follow me directly on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. My name is at Paul Matt Sutter. And of course, thanks again, Earthlings, for listening. See you next week. And remember, science is for sharing and transmission. 